back. Hey, Brett. How's it going today? Good. Hey, Ange. How are you? Good. So, are you ready for a trivia question? No, I thought I said we weren't doing that anymore. <laughs> no, so this is a, this is a fun one. Um, sure it is. You, I, you actually might know the answer to this one. Uh-huh. Because we've talked about this recently. So, what debt-to-income ratio will they approve... What percentage debt-to-income ratio will they approve you for on a home mortgage loan? One. One percent. No, oh, you wanted a ratio. One-to-one. One. I said what percentage debt-to-income. Um... I'd say 50% debt. 50% is what they changed it to in July of 2017. Woo, got one. So it used to be 43% of your take home pay or of your gross pay each month. Your mortgage, you know, all of your debt, so your mortgage, your car, your loans, add them up, divide by your gross amount, and that could only be 43%. They changed it to 50%. And what's really crazy to me is they use your gross number. Not your not net. Not your net. Yep. So okay. when I... So, spoiler, um, the this episode is going to be talking about, you know, can I afford this house? And when I try to answer that question for people, I look at net pay and I say don't spend more than 25 to 33% of your net pay on your mortgage or, or rent or home bill. Because your gross, I mean, your gross is before taxes. It's before anything 401K, comes out for 401k. Um, health insurance. Yep. Well, anything that the state pulls out. Right, so anything that lands in your bank account is your net. And you're not seeing any of that money otherwise. So, you know, I wouldn't consider that as usable money uh, unless it ends up in my bank account for my paycheck. Right. And so, you know, I think about it and... With deductions, you know, so the state will take out some percentage, and that varies widely by state. But with, like, you know, Social Security alone, you're looking at 6%, and then Medicare is another 6%, and then federal and state. I mean, realistically, I think a safe estimate is between, like, 25 and 30% of your money is going to taxes. Yep. Plus then add in 401k, and then they're saying 50% can go to... Your mortgage. Fifty percent of that gross number. So gross number yeah. can go to debt, and then we're at like thirty percent for taxes. So then twenty percent on everything else, including your four hundred one k, which I'm going to tell you to be at at twenty percent. Right. Car, mortgage, all that super expensive stuff. Yep. Right. So, anyways, I think that's nuts, and I think that's wrong. Um. So that's why we're here because I, you know, I've I've talked to a lot of. And I I like mortgage brokers, don't get me wrong, I think they're nice people, but I think their whole job is to get you as much money as they can because then you walk out happy. So if you go in to a mortgage broker and they're like, congratulations, you're approved for a $400,000 house, you're way happier than if they're like, well, realistically, we think that $125,000 sounds about right. (laughs) <laughs> right, yeah, you're walking out of there feeling a little bit differently in that in that latter conversation. So, you know, I think it's kind of a hard, it's a hard field because, you know, they want to get you approved for the highest amount. Real estate agents want to, you know, it's easier to show houses that are expensive and beautiful, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think 
honestly, I think the hard reality is by loosening up the standards like this, we're going to find ourselves in another housing crisis. Right, yeah. So that's that's the direction that it's moving in, right? It's it's undoing all of those fixes that we put into the system because of the 2008 financial crisis, right? And so, boom, what happens if we allow people to get into the exact same situation? Because they're going to do it, right? People didn't, people didn't learn anything. The people buying houses now, maybe there are some of the same people buying houses then. Maybe the people that got burned, maybe they got learned a lesson in 2008. There's a lot of people that didn't get burned. There's a lot of people that graduated since then that are looking for their first house and would love to have, you know, like a half a million dollar mansion. And for us, that's a mansion here in, you know, in Michigan. Or a uh, half a million dollar shack. <laughs> half a million dollar shack in California. You know, whatever. Or, you know, you can't even afford anything in New York City at that price. Right. And so, I mean, that's what it is. But they're they're potentially grossly inflating your lifestyle and letting you do it and get away with it because they're making a lot of money on it. Otherwise, they wouldn't let you do it. Right. Right. And so, you know, I think this is... We've already talked about why renting isn't the end of the world. Um, But I want to talk about where homeownership makes sense today. So, you know, if you live in a low cost of living area like us and you can buy a super nice house for less than $100 a square foot, then it makes a lot of sense to think about buying a house, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so what are the requirements I say for people? Well, I say that you should have 20% down, which so I've talked to so many people and they're like, that's not realistic. How could I ever possibly say, you know, let's, let's say in this example that we're going to, we're going to buy a $200,000 house. Now I know for some of you that is not feasible where you live. And for others of you, that's probably a really nice house where you live. Um, But you can kind of adjust the numbers as you see fit. Well, if you want to buy a $200,000 house, then I'm going to recommend that you have a $40,000 down payment. And it's not like $40,000 is the magic number. You're also going to need to bring closing costs to the table. So factor in another 2 to 3%. You know, you're probably going to need about $45,000-ish by the time it's all said and done to close on that Right, because that's not just like little money. That's like, oh, yeah, if you were just scraping together the first money for the for the 20%, now you got to come up with like another 5000 on top of that, right? Like, right. You know, a lot of people don't think about that, and then they're just like screwed at the last minute because yeah. you already scraped the bottom of the barrel pulling money and borrowing from family or whatever, right, to get that down payment in the first place. Yeah, and so I know like... That sounds really intimidating. I remember like when I graduated and I started thinking about buying a house and I was like, this is never going to happen. I'm never going to get that much money. Um, But a big thing is make it your priority then and, you know, save every penny to it. Um, If you still have debt, it, it can be a little bit harder. And this is where if you have debt, then I say if your debt is probably like four and a half or five percent or higher, you should probably prioritize paying that down before saving a down payment. You mean if the if your interest rates on that debt is over yeah, that? Yeah, okay. not the not to debt to income ratio. No, if yeah. if your interest rate is. Um but other you know, if you are debt free and you're saving this money, like make it yeah, make it a priority and, and optimize every other area. Like how bad do you want a house versus how bad do you want cable? How bad do you want a house versus how bad do you want to go out to eat? You know, because these are all, we've talked about this a million times, but 
if you really want something, like, you can make it happen. And I know $45,000 is an enormous amount of money. But if you, you know, really make it a priority, it'll happen faster than you think. Right. Because within a year or two, most people working at, like, you know, median range jobs, right, um, can probably scrape that together. I, yeah, I would say two to three, probably more realistically. Mm-hmm. Um, Without having to sacrifice, you know, every every meal to go down to rice. Well, yeah, meals. and I think, you know, the median income is, what is it, like $58,000 a year. So unless they're living for nothing, they can't save that much in a year. Right. Um, You'd have but, to bank 60% of that income. That would be really difficult. Yeah. So, you know, I think if you... The big thing is start early. You know, if you are graduating from college and you know you're going to want a house in a few years, go ahead and just start saving any amount of money and it'll it'll make a difference. Um, you know, another another big thing is make sure you have make sure that $45,000 isn't going to wipe you out completely because once you buy a house, you do need an emergency fund. Every time you buy a house, it's like you're going to want to paint or something's going to break. And you are now 100% responsible for fixing it. Right. If your furnace goes out, you're going to need a couple thousand dollars, you know, $4,000 to get that fixed and a new a new one put in. And you, if you live in, a, you know, one of the northern states, that is not an option. Or, right, not optional. You have to do that. So, um, yeah. if you live in the south, air conditioning is, like, not optional. <laughs> right? <laughs> right. All right. So, Yeah. Um, but going back to it, so I recommend having 20% down for a house. And then, um, you know, another big thing to look at is what is your credit score? Because this will actually directly affect the interest rate you get. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you have been a slacker and not paying your bills on time, like turn that around right now and start paying them on time. Because when you go to get a mortgage, they will turn over every stone of your financial past and ask you questions about literally everything. Oh, yeah. And if anybody is like, you know, in scraping together your down payment, and we, you know, we experienced this when, you know, before we got married and before we merged all our bank accounts and stuff, um, for the down payment for our first house, you know, I provided some of the down payment into her bank account. Well, then, you know, they looked into that. They, they pull all your bank records. You have to give them everything. So they saw that transaction where I gave her money for the down payment in the house. And they're like, well, who's this guy? And we're going to need to look at all of his stuff as well now. Right? So yeah. I fully opened myself up by just doing that transfer within like a month before we did And it. you had to sign a thing saying that it was a gift. Right. And you were not going to like try to recollect the money from me if anything were to happen, (laughs) which was really funny. So basically, like, I could have left you and kept the house and just stolen your your down payment money. Right, and I signed a contract that said (laughs) to exactly that point. So So don't do what Brett did. Protect yourself. (laughs) It worked out for him, but could have been bad. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, and the funny thing about that, too, is... We also got engaged that day. Do you remember? Not the day that we bought our first house. We did. No. We did legally because when oh, they man. asked, <laughs> when they asked, like, who is this guy giving you this money? I was like, oh, that's my boyfriend. And my mortgage officer was like, could I write fiance? Because that sounds much better. And I was like, Sure. And so when we you signed that contract that said you were giving me the money, it said, I, Brett, 
fiance of Angela and giving her this money. So really, right. we had quite the long engagement. That's right. Yeah, yeah that makes it feel better. Really... <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so, you know, that's another big thing. If you, not even like shady stuff, I'm not even going to go there because they're going to find it. But even if you like have had large transfers from friends or family or anything like that, make sure you have a, a, an answer for anything they might ask you about. So I think it's like oh, anything over $1,000 earnings they'll ask you. So if it's your normal job, that's really easy because it's your W-2. But we also have real estate. So we had to, like we had a transfer into our account from our real estate business. And we, I remember we had to sign something saying like, it is from our rental property. And then we had to provide all of our rental history to the mortgage firm right yeah that was i mean which which was not a big deal for us because we have we have that information available and we're really good at turning it around but just be aware that like every area of your your life or your bank account or anything that you have to give them access to and anything that touches those things uh is part of this process so it is pretty rigorous and the faster you can provide this stuff as far as turnaround time goes uh, the, the smoother the process will be, right? And a lot of people are really bad at this, and then it delays your closing on your house, and that might delay the interest rate that you have locked in, um, you know, if that goes up over the, you know, what is it, lock in for 30 days or something? It depends, again, on your credit score and your mortgage broker. I think they can do up to, like, a 45 or 60-day rate lock, so, but a lot of times it's 30 days. Okay, yeah, so if you take more than 30 days after they lock it in to get the house, then maybe your interest rate is, yeah. you know, flexible at that point. And honestly, some might be only doing, like, a 7-day rate lock right now because the rates have been changing, like, alarmingly fast. They've mm -hmm. been going up quite a bit. So, it, yeah, it just depends, you know, so... But I would say, you know, the big thing is get the paperwork back to them as fast as possible. Don't be the holdup in the process. Yep. Um, so I wanted to talk about some math a little bit. Is that cool? All right. Let's have people, everybody get their pen and paper out. All right. Well, so I think this is a, is a good thing. Um, so I'm going to say, you know, let's say that you have an $80,000 salary. Um, I think this is kind of fair because I think some people listening to us probably make that. And some people listening to us probably make half of that, but then their significant other makes up half of that. So I think that's a good, like, joint salary to go in on. Um, so then your tax rate is 25%. And I'm going to say that you have been listening to our podcast and your 401k contribution is 15%, which is a very healthy rate. <laughs> so that means your take-home pay is $48,000 a year or $4,000 a month. Um, so let's say that you want to go ahead and buy a house. Well, given my 30% rule where I don't think you should take, you know, more than 30% of your take-home pay to buy, to pay for your mortgage, so that means you have $1,200 a month to spend on your mortgage. But when I say mortgage, I don't just mean principal and interest. I'm including taxes and insurance as well. So the I, I used an average rate here for the tax rate, I used 1.15%. That's the national average. But depending on your area, that might actually be a little low or a little high. Right. You um, just have to like look up the tax history on that parcel of land. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, if you it, that's all public records, too. So, you yep. can literally type in like public record property taxes and then type in the exact address and get the tax rate. But something really good to know is if that house was last sold 30 years ago, 
when you buy it, they're going to reassess the value of it and your taxes will go up. Yep. 100% of the time that's happened to us, literally like on one house, it went up like $500 a year. So it's not like it's an insignificant bit. amount yeah. of money. Like the adjusted tax break. Especially when it's be been that high. long, right? I mean, yeah, because if the house has increased in value or just if, you know, they want more taxes on the house and they haven't been getting them over the years, then they're going to come after you when you buy that yeah. house. Well, and I know this is huge right now in California just because property taxes and values have gone up so much in general. Where, like, if you, if a house hasn't been sold since the 70s or 80s, they might still only be paying, like, $2,000 a year in property taxes and they'll sell the house and it'll go up to like $12,000 a year. Wow. So yeah. um, definitely just kind of be aware of that. So maybe like when you do the search, don't just look for the exact house you're buying, but maybe like try to get the whole street and just look at what everybody's paying. Yeah. But it, we've talked about that before where the tricks of buying, owning a house are, you know, those hidden payments of mortgage and taxes or mortgages is part of it. The taxes are a huge part of it, right? That you need to consider that yep. people forget about the interest rate, uh, you know, is a big variable factor. And the well. insurance and, oh, is yeah, more and expensive than renter's yep. insurance. Okay. So back to my example. So we have a $1,200 mortgage and then we have, we'll say a hundred dollars homeowner's insurance a month. And then our property taxes, so that'll be like $300 for both of those. Which means that we're allowed to have $895 to go to, towards principal and interest. So really, you can afford about a $180,000 house if you have a 30-year mortgage. Okay, so we were shooting for a $200,000 house. Our income basically tells us that we can only get a $180,000 house. But you're real lucky because you saved up that $40,000 down payment. So you can add that. I just did the mortgage balance amount. Mm -hmm. So add that back in so you can have a two twenty. Oh, great. Okay. So we hit we hit the number. And that then is, is that including closing costs? So that's where you need the $5,000 extra in closing costs. So if you save up $45,000, mm-hmm. then the 5000 goes towards closing costs. And, you know, you're, you're under goal, right? Because you can, you wanted a $200,000 house, the mortgage would, you can get approved up to $180,000 in my expert opinion. Um, but really, then you'll get a mortgage for about $160,000. So your monthly amount will be less than that twelve hundred, and you'll check out in all my math. Great. Which is good. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, I think that's just like a quick example to show you that it's kind of important to work backwards. So, you know, what I really recommend for people is take what your, find out what your take-home pay is every month, take 30% of it, then subtract off, you know, $100 for an HOA, or not HOA, sorry, homeowner's insurance, and then try to get a feel for what your property taxes might be, subtract off that amount, Take what's left and you can literally put it in almost any time value of money calculator and figure out, like, what will this translate to as a lump sum? And then that gives you a better range for what your budget actually should be. Um, Another thing I, I wanted to point out is, you know, a lot of times I recommend that you make the math work on a 15 year mortgage, which that will greatly increase your monthly payment. Or decrease the amount of house you can buy. Right. Well, I mean, it'll almost double it, right? Um, so actually, not quite. Because it's 
you know, you're paying so much interest in the beginning, especially on a 30-year mortgage, that, you know, sometimes you'd be surprised. Like, if you're looking in the $200,000 house range, it might only impact that number by, you know, two to $300 a month. Okay. Um, wow, that's a big difference. Which I know, you know, that kind of sounds like a lot of money, especially when we're talking about, you know, keeping it in a certain range of your income. But at the same time, like, an extra $200 a month, let's say, to be done with your mortgage 15 years earlier, eh, that's kind of worth it. You pay mm-hmm. a lot less interest on these. Right, because you, like, you should be paying an extra $1,200 a month. Right. So if it's only $200 a month, then big bargain sale, right? Right. <laughs> and, you know, a bi- another big thing that I advise people to remember is, you know, think about what your age is. So, you know, I bought my first house when I was 23, so I could easily get a 30-year mortgage and pay it off when I was 53, right? If I lived there the whole time, great, you know? But if you are buying a house in your 40s, do you really want to be making mortgage payments into your 70s? Or do you want to your mortgage payments to end kind of when your working career ends so that you can go into retirement without having that debt hanging over your head? Right, because you're probably not going to be able to afford the same mortgage you are now working when you're in your retirement age, right? Uh, you know, that would be very unlikely. Right. And, uh, you know, just a lot. It's another variable to plan for of fixed expenses. I think a lot of people when they retire, try to minimize their fixed expenses as much as possible so that they can adjust if they need to. Um, So, you know, that's another thing to think about. And I think 15-year mortgages, a lot of people get scared by them because it is such a larger upfront commitment. Um, but you know, that's why I advise people like go into it knowing your number and you know, that way you can adjust down if, if needed. So, you know, in the same example I just gave, you know, I said we could afford a $180,000 house with our 30 year mortgage. You could probably afford, you know, quite a bit less with, with the, um, 30 or 15 years. So maybe like a hundred and Thirty to one hundred and forty thousand dollar range, so you know that's forty to fifty thousand dollars less. That's a lot. Yeah. Um, or like I said, maybe the trade off is a higher payment. Um, but just look into it and think about it, and think about what fits your needs best. Because you know, with a fifteen year mortgage, you actually do usually get a lower interest rate as well, which might allow you to afford a little bit more house too. So you have to play with the numbers. Um, And these are all things that if you go to a mortgage broker, you can talk through them with. So I know my mortgage broker was actually very happy to send me over like an amortization schedule so I could like plug in different values into a 30 year or 15 year and get a feel for what I could afford and what the payment would be. Yeah. And so that's a good point, too. We've talked before about, you know, picking the right financial planner picking the right real estate agent, picking, you know, picking the right people to be basically, you know, quote unquote, on your team um, of professionals that are going to help you be successful in doing all these different things. Mortgage broker is a very important one also, because there's a lot of bad ones. There's like, you can go straight to like Quicken Loans and they're going to sell you anything, but Mm -hmm. your interest rate's going to suck, right? And, and, or, you know, they're going to not care about you and they're going to give you they're going to push for you to get into the Biggest highest, most expensive houses possible. Right, because that's going to net them the most money over time. 
And they don't care what happens, whether you bankruptcy on it or not, because as soon as you close on that house, they're going to sell your loan to somebody else. Right. Right. So uh, they don't have to deal with the downfall. So they're going to they're going to bump up it up, you know, get into a million dollar house. We don't care. Right. We're going right. to sell. We're going to sell it to Fannie Mae. Oh, I mean, you better believe it. They're going to look at your gross income and they're going to take 50 percent of it. And they're going to be like, that's what you're. Monthly mortgage mortgage could be then they're gonna plug that into their thirty year calculator with a probably like slightly lower interest rate than you really might qualify for, and be like, oh, this is what you're pre-approved for. Mm -hmm. It's a disaster waiting to happen. Yep, and so yeah, the looser the rule, like as we talked at the beginning, right? The looser the rules get, the more these companies are gonna keep following that model and keep pushing the envelope on that. And getting people into things that they're not supposed to be able to get into, and then if anything happens, you're you're just out of you're out of luck. You can't make the mortgage payments. They take your house back, and it's right. It's yeah. two thousand eight all over again. So you know, I will say when picking a mortgage broker, typically credit unions will have the best rates. Um, they will get you the lowest rate on a house typically. So that's one route to go. Um, and you know, the nice thing about credit unions is they're local. The people that work there are pretty nice. So if you go in and ask them questions, they're very willing to work with you. So it's a good environment for a lot of people. Um, another thing I recommend is there are just straight up mortgage places that you can go. And that's that's what I went through both times buying a house. And I just found one that I remember the first time I sat in that office, I wasn't even ready to buy a house yet. Probably not for another year. But they were just very patient, willing to help explain everything to me, explain the process, explained, you know, gave me different worksheets so that I could work through what I could afford. Um, I mean, I think, and correct me if this is wrong, but I thought the guy that you worked with originally, or, or the last one we worked with on this house, he wouldn't even tell you what the number was that you were pre-approved that's for. That's correct. Right, so he he was like not like oh yeah you can get into a five hundred thousand dollar a million dollar house because you have a great job and you have no debt or whatever. Yeah, he was just like you come to me with the number for the house that you want to have and I'll tell you if that is like. And okay he or helped not. give me resources to figure out what that number should be. Like I remember he gave me this worksheet that I like worked through and I came up with a number and I brought it to him and he was like, I will tell you yes or no. Um, and then it was really funny because through other channels, like Quicken Loan, <laughs> um, I found out what I was actually like pre-approved for from the big guys, and it was literally double what I came up with. And that's why like, I wanted to really make this podcast to be a cautionary tale of like, don't just listen to what Quicken Loan tells you or any of these guys. I don't just want to pick on them, but make sure you crunch the numbers yourself too. And if you're not good at crunching numbers, please send me an email and I will crunch the numbers for you. I'm not like doing this to be a jerk. I'm doing this to help people because I really understand the math behind it. And I understand that people are getting screwed over right now. Like, literally, I came up with a number that was half of what they would have approved me for. And we were both paying for it. But that was just my approval alone. Like, you weren't on the mortgage. Right. Brad. Angela and I were both contributing toward the down payment, of, right, of the house. And we're both contributing to the mortgage. But she is the only one that signed for the mortgage rate. It was only based only on my her income. income alone. They gave her some ridiculous number that I wouldn't be comfortable with if we had four people paying for the house, right? 
Right. I mean, it was it was so high. And we, I understand we're really conservative, but I just think it's really important to, like, beat this home because I think a lot of people are jumping into getting these mortgages because they're like, oh, well, the expert told me I can afford it. Well, let me tell you, just as we talked about with financial planners or you know, other insurance brokers or real estate agents, there's really good people in the field and there's really bad people in the field. And some people are just out to make as much money as possible and they don't care if you end up bankrupt in three years. Right, because right? again, they're going to just sell your mortgage to somebody else and they don't have to deal with it. So yeah, you know, my big advice is go to a credit union, go to an independent mortgage broker, but crunch the numbers yourself too and, you know, make sure you're staying in that... 25 to 30%, you know, range of that's where your mortgage payment should be. And then everybody's happy. And if you can do a 15-year, do it. That's the one thing I agree with Dave Ramsey on. (laughs) Uh, So what about the people that can't uh, quite qualify for the 20% down this year? It's it's okay for them to continue renting. It's okay, you know, even if your rent's like $1,000 a month or wherever you live, right? You know... And that, again, it's really highly dependent on location. Run the rent versus buy calculators. If it if it's a thousand dollars to rent in their location, but their mortgage and you know property taxes and everything would be seven hundred dollars, then maybe get into a house. Um, you know, we actually bought our first house with five percent down, and because it was a really good time to buy in our area, and our mortgage was so much less than our rent, like. $300 less than our rent with a PMI. At the time, and I think they were raising our rent, which even made it even worse. Yeah. It was closer to $500 a month, I think, yeah. almost. Um, so we had a PMI, and we aggressively paid down our mortgage so that we got that taken off within the first year of homeownership. Right, and the PMI is a penalty that you pay for not having 20% down. Mm-hmm. And depending on who you get your mortgage from that PMI may not go away until the full value of the house is paid off. Ours, in our situation that we had, it was, you know, we understood this well before we were signing up for it, that if we hit the 20% number, the PMI would drop off. But that didn't happen automatically. We did, like, chase that down. It was a huge pain. Yeah. Right? They didn't want, they did not want that to And they to will away. tell you, like, oh, it just drops off. No. Like, it will be a mess. PMIs are not fun. I don't wish them on anybody, but I understand sometimes it have, has to happen. There are some credit unions now that will do 10% down with no PMIs. So again, explore your options. Um, you know, I'm not completely opposed to not having 20% down because I know we did it. But just make sure if you're doing it, you're doing it for a reason. Not just because you think owning a home is the best d- decision you can make. Because houses are money pits. So... When by the time you buy a house, make sure you are really competent in your decision and you have, you know, a good source of an emergency fund for when shit happens. <laughs> because it will, right? I mean, we've owned homes for only just over six years now, almost, mm-hmm. and we've replaced furnaces, we've replaced, uh, you know, siding. <laughs> yeah, we uh, had a flood in the kitchen at one point, um, and had to deal with that, and the insurance claims and all kinds of stuff. We've had air conditioners die. We've had air conditioners serviced. Um, and you have to mow. And I have to mow. We've replaced flooring in one of the houses. Oh, so much mowing. So much snow plowing, shoveling driveways. 
Uh, you know, maybe there's a slip and fall or something that happens if you're not on top of that game. Cleaning up yard work, sticks falling in the in the yard, a tree <laughs> fell over in all the yards. All right, I'm gonna stop you. Uh, so yeah, owning a joys home. joys of home ownership, ladies and gentlemen. So what what is the advantage to owning a home for you? Uh, I think we should go back to renting. I'm like more convinced of that every day. Yeah. All right, boys and girls. So our uh, podcast to try to convince you to buy a house is just. <laughs> um, I'm gonna. Uh, right, I do want to conclude with there's a lot of very successful people that don't ever buy a house, right? There there are right. lifelong renters that make that work. It frees up a lot of your equity. So to play devil's advocate, owning a home is a really great guard against inflation. It is an inflation-protected asset because you buy, you lock in that price, you pay your mortgage that doesn't change for 15 or 30 years, and you have an inflation-protected asset. It is not an investment. Um, we have investment properties. Our home is not an investment. We buy it to live in it. It's it's diversification. We're really risky with 90% of our portfolio, and our home helps us balance that out because it's a very safe investment, right? Right, but it's also you know over $100,000 of equity at some point that's just sitting there not making us any, you know... And because we are very aggressive investors and we have 90% of our money invested very aggressively, it is really hard for us to see the equity in our home not going to better use sometimes, for sure. But I'm, I'm saying for the average person, like homeownerships... And, you know, another big thing that I was talking to Brett about this morning is homeownership for a lot of people is a forced savings account. So if you're not good at saving money... You can't, you have to with a house because you make your payment and you build equity and you don't think about it. So a lot of people, if they had $100,000 of equity in their home, they don't think about it. They're going to leave it there, right? But if they had $100,000 sitting in the bank, they'd be like, Tesla, what? <laughs> so houses are really good for that. It, it forces people to save money and build wealth, which is good. Yep, so then going into your retirement, you know, you can sell your house and boom, you have, you know, over $100,000 or $500,000 or wherever you live, whatever that asset is, uh, you know, that is part of your retirement strategy at that point. Exactly. So homeownership is not all bad, um, but just make sure you're going into it prepared, which means you have, you know, a reservoir of money, which might take you years to build up, but... Start now, right? That's what we always say. Start early, let the compound interest, you know, do its thing. All right. Well, I think we, uh, we're pretty good there. So if you have any other questions or, you know, very seriously, if you are not sure how to crunch these numbers, I will drop my contact information in. I am so, I love this stuff. So I will help you, like, no strings attached. I will just help you. I will send you spreadsheets that I've built, um, and I will help you get on the right track. Or even maybe tips about, you know, how to price, how to find the right house in your price. Or, you know, once you do find your number, how do you find a house that isn't a lemon too? I mean, we have a lot of experience in that That's area true. as well. So, um, you know, the home buying process, you know, we, we've kind of been helping a lot of people out with lately. So um, give us a call or send us a note. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Or, you know, come on over and we'll make dinner and talk about it. So, <laughs> gosh, we are so Midwest right now. Yep. We're like, come on over. We'll- We'll cook and help you with things like, sorry, we're Midwest. Can't help it. <laughs> All right. Anything else? I think that's it. All right. Great. Thanks, guys. 
Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Money in the Bank. Make sure to subscribe to us on the iTunes or Stitcher app so that you get weekly alerts every time we post a podcast. Or if you want, you can visit my website, moneyinthebankpodcast.com. And if you want to reach out with any questions or further comments, please email me at angie at moneyinthebankpodcast.com. I look forward to hearing from you. Money in the bank.